to the Red Dog Road Podcast, a program for people seeking a deeper perspective on the outdoors, sports, and personal performance. And now, here is your host, Nick Pinizzato. Hello, friends, and welcome once again to the Red Dog Road Podcast. This is episode six for the love of hunting dogs. And our guest today is going to be Ryan Bronson from Vista Outdoor. Uh, but more importantly, a uh, dog lover and trainer and big time hunter. I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Groman. Mike, how are you today? Doing well. How about you? I'm doing all right. Doing doing pretty well. We've had some nice weather. Even though I'm in Ohio and you're in Pennsylvania, we have pretty much the same weather. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly been enjoying the sunshine and uh, a little bit of warm air on my face. Yeah, it's been nice to get outside. I've been seeing robins now, which is always a good sign of spring. So I think it's close. So I'm going to ask you about the any excitement that you had since we last talked. Now, I know you're looking for a truck. I'll let, let you talk about that if you want to. You might be closing in on that. But uh, I'm going to share with you my biggest piece of excitement for the week so far. And that is today uh, we had our hot water tank inspected. And that's, let me tell you how exciting that is because, it, and I don't know if you've ever had this done, but uh, so we, just to take a step back, we bought this little package where uh, the HVAC company comes in once a year and for a certain price, they'll inspect your furnace and they'll inspect your hot water heater. And it's just one price and you're, you're all good to go. So uh, I was all excited to watch and learn how to do this. And essentially what he did, as far as I can tell, is he hooked up the hose, he drained it and then filled it again and said, okay, we're all good. And then he left. <laughs> Uh, so, so that was the extent of my excitement so far for the week. And, uh, I am not sure what he actually really did there. He might not have done anything. <laughs> I mean, to, to get to the point, I didn't even know that was a thing. So you, you've taught me something <laughs> that checking your water tank is a payable service. So I guess now I might need to potentially, it doesn't sound like it's very impressive, but again, our water tank is new. It's only two years old, but the one up at our camp is a little bit weathered if you will so maybe i will consider having someone check that yeah and, and they'll be happy to tell you how old it is and if it needs to be replaced because we were talking about that and he first looked at it and we misread a date on there and we thought it was 19 years old and he didn't even finish the sentence and he said but tomorrow we could have you a brand new one set up in here if you need it <laughs> of course they and can i said well oh well, yeah and i so i say to him well, what do you think? What's that going to cost? And he said like twelve hundred and some dollars. And I was like, you know what? It's working great. I think we'll just go ahead. We'll go ahead and go with it. <laughs> oh my. Oh, okay. So for for my week, uh, nothing. Uh, we're on spring break, so nothing uh, teaching wise. I did get a chance to get outside. I pulled that camera card on. Uh, actually, I pulled the whole camera on the game lens because I wanted to uh, bring everything in. Didn't see potentially. I didn't see the buck that was making those tremendous rubs, but there were a few bucks in there, but there's a, a lot of dough moving through. And I think that it might be something worth investigating closer to pre-rut and rut was when he might've been coming through there because I think this area is a bedding area because there were a few uh, beds that I could still see in the, in the snow on the, on the crest of the hill. So I think it's something that I'm going to have to look into. I didn't, I didn't get the picture of the buck that I wanted, but they, you know, sometimes pictures aren't really what we're hunting after anyways. Well, I, you're putting me to shame, man. I got to be honest with you. I, uh, you're out there already working on the 2018 season. And uh, someone asked me the other day, did you get out and look for any antler sheds? <laughs> this is, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm pathetic. I've just, well, as I said, it's just been so muddy. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a sad state of affairs on my end, but I'm glad that you at least got to get out and, and, and see what's happening over on that property. Cause I know you've been excited about it. And, uh, and, you know, I think part of my problem is I'm going to pass the blame on my son and I'm going to practice doing this because I plan to do this for the larger part of the rest of my life here. Uh, we've had to do a couple, uh, we'll say late night, early morning runs with him where he wants, for whatever reason, wants to wake up at either midnight or like two in the morning. And the only kryptonite he really has to get him back to sleep is to go for a car ride. So my wife and I have been kind of walking around like zombies for most of the day because we've had to do some of these car rides. So that's probably something you can relate to. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's a completely different life when you're a parent and you do whatever you can to keep a certain amount of, you know, for the human body, we call it homeostasis, a certain amount of balance. And if someone's up at two in the morning, 
the goal is get that little man back to sleep and it's all hands on deck. You know, mom, dad, everybody's, everybody's all in to try and keep, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. And, and it's going to be, you're going to have those times. And, but you, the great thing is you'll look back and you'll laugh. And it, it, when you're in the heat of battle at two in the morning and you, you are just praying for the softness of your pillow and the warmth of your blanket, it, it'll be well worth it down the road. By the way, I want to point out, I'm not sure the Red Dog Road audience is quite ready for a word like homeostasis. Um, You see, once again, we've got Dr. Mike Grome, and I'll remind you if you haven't heard uh, Mike on the show before, uh, putting us all to shame. So with that, I think before you you embarrass me anymore, Mike, uh, let's go ahead and take our trip down Red Dog Road. Okay, this week on the Red Dog Road segment of the show, I want to talk about reducing clutter in your life. And for me, I did this very recently, last last couple of days actually, and the clutter for me has been the amount of time and distractions I've had in social media. And this is a fact of our life now, right, folks? It's out there, and we all want to be on our Facebook and our Instagram and our Twitter and all these things. But as what I was starting to find was that even if I would just – click over just for a moment to Facebook, for example, I would find myself getting caught up in it. The next thing you know, a few moments turns into minutes. And then minutes, when you add those up throughout a day, it just ends up being a pretty big waste of time. And then I started to think about what is this extra time I'm spending doing this? How is that impacting other areas of my life? What am I not paying attention to that I need to be paying attention to? And I think social media, I still maintain that it's a positive thing. I think it's allowed us to uh, be connected with each other and more people in a, in a way that we never were before. But at the same time, I think it can be a double-edged sword and you can find yourself getting caught up in it. And, uh, and I'm not even a person that I felt like I used it a lot, but I used it more than I was comfortable with. So I took a couple of days and uh, went back through and changed what I would see on my timeline. I, I don't, I changed, basically closed down my Instagram account. I closed down, uh, some of you may have noticed this already, I closed down the Red Dog Road Facebook page. And the reason I did that is Facebook wasn't feeding it to anybody anymore. So I would take the time to do a post only to see that it would only feed it to a couple of hundred people. And I just started asking myself, is this a good use of your time? And so the message for this week on our walk down Red Dog Road is if you have clutter in your life, it might not be social media, it might be something else. Think about reducing that clutter. Get yourself focused on the things that are important. Maybe something you want to do is write down a handful of things that are most important to you and then look at the distractions you might have that might be impacting your success with those things and declutter. I can tell you that already just after a couple of days of scaling back my social media usage, I feel like I've decluttered a significant portion of my life. Mike? Well, it's funny that you said about decluttering because one of the things as you know, I have no social media presence at all. And it's the reason being is because I don't feel that my life is that important in that sense that everyone needs to know what I'm doing. But for me, decluttering frees up so much more time because I've always had, as I said before, long commutes. So I lose about 90 minutes every day in in the commute process. And that's time away from my family, away from things that I love to do. And so I go back to years ago when I first started uh, training bird dogs, there was a very um, knowledgeable gentleman in our dog club. His name was Jim Junk of all things. And I said to him one day that we were at our socialization training day, I said, I don't think I'm going to have enough time to do this because I was seeing some of these fantastic, phenomenal dogs. And he stopped me, says, hold on right there. He said, you need to ask yourself this simple question. How many hours a day do you watch television? And I kind of looked at him a little bit weird and he said, now you think about that. And if you cut back on that amount of time and invest it in your dog, you're going to have a wonderful dog. And and I've constantly used that philosophy and, and passed that down to people about take a look around your life and find out what things that you're investing time in that you can translate that or transition that into something more useful and effective and productive and you can get a lot of things done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's just a, I think that's a great message for anybody. Folks, get focused on the things that matter and try to cut back on the amount of time of things that don't matter. And that's our walk down Red Dog Road this week.
So, Mike, let's go ahead and talk about our interview. We've got uh, Ryan Bronson on the show today, and we're going to bring Ryan on. We're going to talk about hunting dogs and, most importantly, that real that really special bond between a hunter and his or her dog, because I think it is special. I think it's it's not to take away anything from anybody that just has a pet, because those are special bonds as well. But Ryan just recently lost his Pop Delta after 13 years. I know that was very difficult for, for him and his family. Uh, you have uh, lost a dog, Mojo, that you've, uh, that you've had by your side for a long time. And I know that's difficult. And I've got a 10-year-old dog sitting here at my feet. And I just, dogs add so much to our lives. And especially if you're a hunter and you go out and you work with the dog and spend these times in the vehicle. And uh, I just, um, I'm really looking forward to getting, Ryan's a big time hunter. I've got a ton of respect for him. He's a, it's funny because Ryan is, uh, he's kind of a comedian. He can be the funny guy, but he can also be the very serious guy. He's got a ton of experience. Uh, he works with Vista Outdoor. He's a director of conservation and public policy there. He can talk policy. Uh, he can talk conservation, but he can talk hunting big time. And I've hunted with Ryan and actually sat about two feet from him and watched him shoot a nice gobbler in Kansas, uh, literally blowing right through a small a small tree that was in front of us. And he took it down. It was pretty impressive. Uh, but he's a big dog guy. And I think that this is the perfect time being just a little more than a week removed from uh, from losing his good buddy Delta uh, to be able to talk with him about that. And just your experience with dogs. Uh, I just think it's going to make for a great interview. I totally agree. I, I mean, to back you up just a little bit, I must say that people, there's cat people out there too, and they can have bonds with cats. I mean, even though he's not my cat, I love your cat Vince, which can be a completely <laughs> different story, a different, a different time. But I mean, I've always been a dog person and, and you know that, but I think as human beings, we do appreciate those bonds or connections with animals. I've heard stories about people that have had horses and dogs and birds and fish. It's just, we, I think as, as just individuals or beings, we love to be able to connect and share our lives with something that gives us purpose. And dogs are, are always at the top of my list, and I'm sure they probably always will be. I don't have an, a dog right now. I mean, I did get a beagle for my wife. It's He's more of a pet. He's a very, very poorly trained, out of shape, fat little dog. But you know, but the thing is, I, I, I enjoy spending time with him, love petting him, love... In, in, I love him in a different way than I did love my my bird dogs. And it's, it's a completely different relationship, like you said. Yeah, very well put. And just so you know, Vince is laying over here in one of the dog beds about five feet from me. So he... Uh, He's taking a nap, which that's what he's probably best at, actually. Um, so with that, uh, let's go ahead and jump to the interview with Ryan. We're joined now by our buddy, Ryan Bronson. He's the Director of Conservation and Public Policy at Vista Outdoor. But uh, even more importantly than that, he is a dog lover, dog trainer, has a lot of experience with hunting dogs. And I couldn't think of a better person to have here on the show today to talk with us about this subject. Ryan, thanks for joining us. I am very happy to be with you guys. Well, that's great. And we're happy to have you for sure. And and Ryan, so when I'm sitting around thinking about, okay, what, what topics are we going to cover on the show? And the Red Dog Road podcast, if you haven't listened to us yet, is a little bit different than your typical sort of hunting. We're not here to talk about how to kill things or that type of thing. We try to stick more to uh, just the passion of our outdoor pursuits, how they've changed our life, how they've shaped our lives. And one of the biggest things that I can think of for sure. And I, every time I see my dog, I think of this as just this relationship, this special relationship that we as hunters, outdoorsmen have with our dogs. And you know that as well as anybody. And you unfortunately had just lost, I believe your pup was 13 years old, yep. uh, had passed away. And uh, just share share a little bit about the history uh, with your with your dog there from, from puppyhood all the way. And until uh, until uh, uh, he became elderly, and uh, just some of those experiences that you were able to share. Well, uh, so I bought her in 2005, and my wife and I had just moved into a house. We just gotten married, and honestly, we had been we were both working at the state capitol in Minnesota at the time, and and we were um, had been apartment living, and and I wanted to get out of the house because I I I couldn't stand not having a dog, and so I I 
had seen a male uh, at a couple of different shows here in Minnesota uh, named Rex. Pete Fisher was, was the owner and trained him out of central Minnesota. And at the time, Rex was actually the, the uh, model dog on dog, tra- dog training materials and collars and the boxes. And I'd seen him, and I thought he was just a spectacular-looking dog. I'd seen him work, and so I was, I was kind of following along trying to find a breeding with him. And I found uh, a female up in Bemidji, Minnesota, which is up north, happens to be the town where I went to college. And they had these really big, muscular females that were just spectacular-looking dogs, looked like males, just big, blocky, blocky females. I put a deposit down on a breeding that they had, and I wanted a black female. And as luck would have it, it was a you know it was a mixed breed, uh, or mixed yellows and blacks, and they only had one <laughs> black female. So I didn't even have a choice to make. I, that was the dog I was getting, and it was my wife's first pet. And she, she so she'd grown up never having any pets, uh, and I'd grown up with hunting dogs my whole life. We had setters and springers, and labs when I was a kid. And we brought her home, and it was a learning experience, I think, for both of us, because uh, things that I took as you know second nature uh, for being a pet owner, you know, having to deal with a puppy and chewing up everything and piddling on the carpet and all that, those were things that I was used to. Completely new experiences for my wife, um, which I thought was was pretty eye opening. Uh, you know, as she was she didn't come from a hunting family, and 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 I did. Um, but my wife grew attached to that dog. Um, and I did all the training myself. I didn't, I didn't take her to, you know, obedience training or, or have her done trained with a professional. I wanted to do it myself. And, you know, in in the backyard, in the living room, you know, fetching down the hallway and, and learning to retrieve, uh, teaching her hand signals and, and whistle training in the backyard. And then, uh, talking my wife to go and throw blind retrieves for us, you know, at, at city parks and things like that um, is where we did all of our training. And she retrieved her first morning dove when she was about five months old, when the season had opened up that year in Minnesota. It was the first year we had morning dove hunting, and, and first day of the season she got her first bird. So we had a lot of firsts that day. And then she retrieved a duck uh, about a month later, and – you know, it, it, the fire was lit, and she and I spent 13 seasons running all over the Midwest together, putting on thousands of miles, uh, often alone, often just me and her, you know. And, and so, the, you know, the, the conversations you have with your dog, that's just completely inane. Um, I, did, I did a lot of that. And, um, and when she passed away here a week ago Sunday, um, eight days ago, from when we were recording this, you know, it, it, it was hard because she was a part of our family and some of my best hunting experiences came with that dog. Yeah. That's, I mean, it just to listen to Ryan speak about his dog is, is just amazing. I'm sitting here with this huge grin on my face because some of the stories that he tells are so connected to dog owners and hunting dog owners. And that hole that you feel in your life after you lose a dog is really difficult to replace. And I, I hear the stories about his wife and when they first got married, this dog came into their house and I get, I I can honestly tell you, I will guarantee if you spoke to his wife right now, there's a huge hole in her life from losing that dog as well. The the two of us uh, cried hard. Um, It was, it it was tough. And, and, you know, I guess I feel a little bit lucky in that, you know, we knew she was in rough shape and, and she hadn't been hunting uh, for the last year, essentially, because she just arthritis and other things. She just couldn't couldn't do it. But uh, she came and woke us up at four o'clock in the morning um, and 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 lay down at the foot of our bed. And normally she slept out in the living room on the couch. Yeah, we're those kinds of pet owners. Um, but she came into our room and slept at the foot of our bed for about an hour and and then she started, you know, labored breathing, and and uh, about an hour and a half after she started panting with the labored breathing, she passed away, right at the foot of our bed in our arms. Um, so there, there was no trip trip to the vet. There was there was no um, build up to it. It was just you know me and my wife and the, and my son who grew up with with that dog, you know, his entire life. He, she was four when we got 
when we had him, um, you know, so part of our family uh, just lost. It was tough. I, you know, I, it's the hardest I've cried in a long, long time. Yeah, I know when I had saw, I think he had posted it on Facebook, Ryan. It, I mean, my heart broke for you. 13 years is a, I mean, that's that's longer than you spend with most human beings in your life, you know, other than the family you grow up with and, mm-hmm. and maybe a, a, your wife and, 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 and your family. But, um, man, it's just in an almost in a selfish way, though, what a uh, – uh, I'm trying to find the words to even say. It's just what a wonderful experience that you all could be there together with her when when she did pass away i just think you know a lot of times we see so many times people had to take their dogs to to be put down and 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 that's got to be the worst trip of your life right because you know that you have to make that decision so um i think at the very least she got to spend her last moments with you guys uh, in your arms and i think uh, that you have to at least uh, feel appreciative about that I did. I, I did. I, you know, the only I had, I had hoped that it would happen, you know, during warm weather so that I could have, we could have taken her up and buried her right away. Um, but it, it didn't, it happened, you know, with two feet of snow on the ground here in Minnesota. And so we, uh, we, we had to have her cremated, which was actually a, a pretty pleasant experience, um, working with the crematorium here, but, um, so she's sitting here uh, on my piano, three feet away from me, um, in her urn, which uh, you know I still haven't decided if we're gonna spread her ashes in some of our favorite spots, or, or if we're just gonna bury her at my at my family farm up in Ottertail County. There were, you know, there's pros and cons both ways, um, but I kind of like the idea of uh, bringing her with me uh, out through the Dakotas this this fall, so she can. Be in hunting camp one more time. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I'm just, I'm curious. Um, I know you have a young son, Ryan, who's looking very much like he's going to be a big hunter, just like his dad. And uh, how's he doing? How did he take it? This was a huge, huge life lesson for him. It was. We had some preparation because, um, you know, she had a really bad bout of, of um, arthritis where she couldn't hardly stand up about five months ago, and we had to put her on medications. And at that time, I thought we were going to have to put her down, uh, but she snapped back from it. So we had some preparation, and we talked about it. Um, he 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 was never as close with her as as Christine, my wife, and I were, in part because when 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 he was a baby, she didn't really care that much for him. Um, you know, he was she had been the center of attention for our house, and here was this baby that kind of interrupted that for so for a couple of years. I don't want to say she was depressed, but you know, you could tell she, she didn't like not getting the, all the attention. And, and so, you know, she always was a little bit standoffish with Ford until he started to, you know, eat solid food. And she figured, you know, she could snitch food from him all the time. Then they became buddies. Uh, she is a Labrador. Um, so, so Ford took it hard. I think he took it harder seeing me and my reaction. You know, he, he told me that he had never seen me cry before and he'd never in he had heard me sobbing and he thought it was he thought it was dealt at the time cuz cuz um you know while while she was passing away our our little 4 month old puppy was still in the house and Ford went to be with her to keep her calm uh so that we could help keep Delta calm so he was actually out of the room with with the puppy now a decade from now when that puppy is an old uh, dog and, and we lose her, I, I have a feeling that Ford is going to take that one very, very hard because he's, he's already attached to that puppy. Uh, he's part of those early stages, and, and I think he will be. Um, but, you know, Ford's been with me. He's been out hunting. So life and death is something that he has got a better grasp on than, than I think other kids his age as a result. Uh, so he took it okay. He was sad. We all were sad, but uh, uh, you know he he took it the the best of the three of us. That's for sure. Yeah, I just hear I just hearing this hearing the story and just trying to picture and how everything went down there. It's just uh, like you said, just so many great years together and just great learning experiences for uh, for your son for sure. And I'm certain it will be different. Uh, 
you know, about a decade or so from now. And I, I know actually, as I'm sitting here talking with you guys, I've got my red tick hound sitting here at my feet and she's 10 years old now. And sometimes she still looks like a puppy out in the yard when I throw the ball to her. And other times she seems like she takes a lot longer naps and lays around a lot more. Uh, so, and she, it was interesting, Ryan, when you were talking about uh, the, the, your dog's reaction to, to Ford initially is very similar with uh, Arrow, my red tick. She just she actually stared at me for a long time when we first brought our son Will home, almost as if, what do you, I can't believe you would bring home another puppy, which in her mind, that's probably what we did. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing her warm up, though, to him a lot more. And we have another dog, a, a blue healer named Suki, and she, she took the Will right away and she still seems to have uh, be close to him and try to protect him and um you know mike how you had dogs growing up or when your kids were growing up i mean did you have a similar experience yes we we did and we really tried to make sure that the dogs knew the children were coming home uh, i mean you hear different stories we actually brought a baby blanket with each of our children to leave for the hospital uh, leave at the hospital for a day or two and then i personally brought him home and uh, placed him with the dogs and made sure the dogs knew that something was different so that it wasn't such a surprise when we did get him home. And um, as, as Ryan might know, I mean, he had a female, I always ran male dogs. And for me, males were just easier. Uh, I didn't have to deal with the heat cycles and things like that for hunt tests. And sometimes you'll get that dominance in males. And by orienting them to the child and the baby, you know, when you bring them home very, very early, it seemed to go much better. And, but like you said, different dogs will take to children differently. And some were very, very protective of the children to the point where I think they would have went to war for the children. If someone came in the house, I mean, there was, you know, I, sometime I'll tell you about the ice cream man story, which was crazy, but other dogs were very aloof and they just didn't mind the children at all. They just were glad to get their food and get my attention and go outside and run and, and train and hunt birds. And just as long as they had a nice place to sleep at night, life was great for them. So I think every dog's a little bit different, just like every owner's a little bit different. And, and situationally, you kind of react to that. And I think that's why dogs are special because you never have one that's like the other and they're, they're so individual, almost like people. Yeah, and I'm seeing that a lot with my with my new puppy in the house. I mean, she's young. She's she's you know coming up on three and a half, four months old, and um, I sometimes make assumptions that she's going to be just like Delta, and she's not. She's got a completely different personality, um, and and you got to account for that. And uh, and I've had to account for that in in the training process with her. Uh, she, she, you know, she's she's a little more stubborn. Um, but she's she's and she's a little more aggressive, uh, so the, the, there's going to be pros and cons with that. Uh, but one of the things I experienced is I'd never brought a dog home in the winter. I'd always gotten spring pups, and the week we brought Soka home here in December, it was 20 below here in Minnesota. You want to talk about making dog uh, house training hard? Uh, make it 20 below outside with a brand new puppy that doesn't want to get her her feet cold. Uh, that was an experience. Well, and I'm, I'm laughing because it's it's hilarious because I actually brought a, a puppy home in the middle of January, which I'm sure is not as cold as Minnesota in the wintertime, but this dog uh, came from California. And so you want to talk about culture shock or uh, climate shock. I didn't have that dog two days. And if he didn't go out and put his tongue on the metal cap of our well and get his tongue stuck on that. And housebreaking became a nightmare after that because he hated to go outside. It was cold. I just got my tongue stuck. I'm running around back in the house to try and get warm water to pour on his tongue and get it off the, the metal cap of the, of the well. Oh, it was horrible. This is a story I haven't heard before, Mike. So uh, I, that's amazing. I, I'm surprised the dog didn't hurt himself. You were lucky to get him off there. Yeah, I was. I really was. Jeez. Uh, we, well, let's uh, since we're in a laughing mood now, which is a good thing, let's let's go ahead and start talking about some of the great moments uh, you've had. Now, Ryan, I've, I've been having a ball watching just over social media, watching you and uh, starting to train Soka and chasing balls up the hallway and all these things. And uh, I, yeah, I'm jealous because I, I know how much fun that is, but I'm also not I'm not that envious because I also know how much work there is that you don't see on social media behind it with the house training and so on. But let's talk uh, first. I'm, I'm interested to hear, and it's going to be hard for you to pick a favorite, but just a, 
when you think of Delta, what's that one moment or that one experience that's always going to stick out for you? Um, yeah, it's hard to break it down to one. Um, but so I grew up in a house, my dad had pointers and he had springers, you know, so they're mostly upland dogs and not, you know, we hunted ducks a lot and those dogs retrieved in water, but they weren't duck dogs. And I remember, uh, when Delta was one and a half, it was, so it was their second season of hunting and we wing tipped a ring bill in North Dakota. They went all the way across the small lake we were hunting and, uh, you know, I lined her up and I sent her on the retrieve and, you know, then I stood up on as high on the shore as I could so she could see me and so I could see the duck. And, you know, my dad didn't think there was any chance that that, you know, that that dog was going to come back with the duck. And she got to the other end of the lake and, and so she's, you know, 150, 200 yards away at least. And that, you know, it's a ring build, started diving on her. And she just kept swimming the circles, swimming the circles, swimming the circles. And she was gone, you know, felt at that time, it felt like forever for me. And dog, all, you know, it, I saw the tail slap. So when Delta would grab a stick or her dummy or the bird, you know, whenever she grabbed it, her, she would slap her tail in the water. And I saw that tail slap. So I knew she had gotten that bird and she made that retrieve back and, uh, you know, I was proud and my dad was amazed and, you know, uh, and I think he was a little bit impressed, which, you know, anytime you, you can impress your old man, that's a good day. That's, that's a great, great story. And I can just, just have a vision of, of that going down for sure. Uh, you guys are, you guys are both dog lovers for sure. And, and Mike, I know Ryan already talked about that his dog got to sleep on the couch uh, which is which is awesome, and Mike, I know I, I distinctly recall whenever we were hunting with Mojo uh, for pheasants, and just when we were done hunting, and it was a warm day, and you'd prepared for that, but also how you took the time to get the little tick comb out, and you groomed him down, and got him all cleaned up, and made sure that he was in tip top shape before we got back in the vehicle to head home. Uh, just expand a little bit on. I'd be interested to hear from both of you guys, and that just that. I mean, it really is a true love that you have for these animals and that, and that level of care that you put in. It's not, you don't do it because it's work. You do it because you love, you love the animal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's such a rewarding give and take uh, relationship. And, but I mean, you have to realize that when you take your dog out, your dog, I look at my dogs as athletes and you would not expect a football player or a tennis player or whoever to give a hundred percent participate in a sports activity and you go ahead and just throw them in the locker room and say, you're good to go. You can't shower. You'll, you'll be fine. So the, the aftercare of your dogs, making sure they're hydrated, making sure that they don't have any uh, thorns or something that's going to turn into a potential infection. You check their eyes. I check their nose. You, you have to make sure that there's a certain amount of care there because they can't communicate like a human being to you. Uh, when you're around dogs enough, you should be able to pick up on things, but yeah, to make sure that, the dogs were taken care of. You always have to plan ahead and you have to plan post and make sure that they are, they are correctly taken care of. But secondarily, the, the tick comb uh, story that you said um, just a second ago was primarily for the dog, but it was also secondarily for my family because our dogs very similar to Ryan's dog uh, stays, stay, stay in our house. And I didn't want to have them carry a tick in the house and then wind up getting somebody sick as well. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It is. And we don't get to go on vacations as much. We were always making sure that we were here with the dogs. If they couldn't travel with us, we didn't travel. And, um, it, it just becomes part of your life. And Mojo, he, we had to actually put him down. Um, and you don't know this story cause I didn't talk about it. I don't talk about it too often, often, but, uh, he had a, a huge tumor on his liver, which we didn't know about. I took him to the vet because he, his water intake was just increasing. He would not eat his food and he would dr just drink water. And I started, he started to drop weight and I, I could definitely notice, and, and Ryan probably can attest to this, is that you actually 
feed your dog differently off season versus on season. You can tell their weight just by looking at them or feeling them. And I knew he was dropping weight. And so I would up his food intake, but he wasn't eating it. He wanted water. And it didn't take long for, for me to decide I need to get him to the vet. We went down, vet looked at him and said, you know, cause he, he's so familiar with the dog. He says, boy, he doesn't look good. And I said, I agree. He says, let's get an x-ray. I said, sure, let's, let's go for it. And we, as because my wife went along with me, we were not prepared because the results that came back were he had a tumor the size of a softball on his liver. And the vet said, Mike, he doesn't have more than a few weeks to live. And all he's going to be doing is suffering and going downhill very rapidly. We should just put him down right now. And that for me, you want to talk about getting rocked back on your heels or getting punched in the gut. That that was a tough a tough call that day because the the kids couldn't see the dog mojo one more time and and you have to make that decision on the spot but you have to think about what's best for him what's best for us and it was a tough decision to make and I was not prepared I mean Ryan said that you know he he hadn't cried in a long time you want to talk about and Nick you know me I'm I like to think I'm a pretty tough guy I was on the floor of that room just holding him for those last few minutes, knowing that this is it, I'm never going to see this dog again. So, you know, we did cremate him as Ryan said, he is in an urn. Um, I have, I have the, I call it the championship shelf there. I mean, I have all his championships along this uh, oak board or plaque in the, in the hunting room and his urns up there with his collar around it. And that's where he's going to stay for me because he, he was probably one of the better dogs I've ever had. Yeah. He was incredible. I, I it was a privilege for me to be able to hunt with him. And I, I would tell other people about Mojo and say, I think Mojo could find a, a pheasant in the middle of the mall. <laughs> he just, he just was really that good. And, uh, and he has, I mean, it was, it was crazy. We were, we were on the game lands and I know we're here to interview Ryan, but I mean, once you get talking about dogs, it's tough to kind of, you know, slow me down, but we actually were on the game lands, very similar to, to a place where I took you and these four guys were out in front of Mojo and I, and they had two dogs working and I just got Mojo out of the truck. I watered him real quick and we hit the field. Within two minutes, he goes on point and uh, flush two roosters. I drop them both, true pair. He returns them. I load them up. I'm like, I'm done. These two guys or these four guys turn around and look at us and I'm, I'm getting back in the truck leaving saying, hey, have a nice day. <laughs> so crazy. Pretty, pretty memorable moment for sure. And uh, so Ryan, going forward with you now, you are... For those of you who are listening and may not know Ryan, he's a big time hunter. He hunts all over the country and uh, he likes waterfowl for sure, but I know he likes to chase the birds. And as you're looking out ahead to uh, your future with Soka, what, what are you thinking? Of? What, what's the first hunt going to be? Do you have plans to, to, to get her out here this, this fall? And, and what are you thinking? Well, you know, the advantage of getting a dog that was born in October is, uh, you know, come this fall, she'll be a year old. And, and I, I've, you know, Delta, I, I, I had her hunting, you know, before she was six months old. Um, I'm not going to say that those were, you know, always spectacular performances, but, um, you know, I'll have Soka out this fall and she'll go to the Dakotas with me. She'll, she'll go to Kansas with me. Um, I'm going to hunt Delta Marsh this uh, this fall uh, I don't know if I'll be bringing her to Canada with me on this first hunt but you know I, I you know I named Delta Delta in part because of Delta waterfall but also you know I always wanted to hunt the Delta marsh with her and we never did um, so that'll be a little bittersweet this fall when I'm when I'm up in Canada you know with Delta waterfall hunting on Delta marsh and I won't have my dog Delta with me uh, and I don't know what the rules are about bringing things into Canada, but I probably will bring her ashes with me uh, when I'm up there. Um, but Soka is going to be out there. Um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'll probably have I'll go buy some quail and, and do some summer work with her, get her on get her on some live birds in the summer before season. But um, I would expect she'll be uh, you know on the on the duck opener. We'll be somewhere. Um, you know, I, 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 that first retrieve is important because, um, you know, uh, my dad had a had a great pointing lab uh, that loved upland birds and didn't care for ducks at all. And as soon as Delta retrieved her first bird, his dog never retrieved another duck. Um, wow. uh, and, 
so so and she was happy with that she said give me the sharp tails give me the pheasants and and you can take those webbed foot things <laughs> so so i you know I, i'm gonna follow the same path hopefully as i did with the last one and is start early and and repetition and and get around as many birds as i can and and i i like to start with ducks because once they learn you know, the hand signals for directional retrieves. It, I think for me, it's easier to teach a lab to quarter a field, you know, because they know what hand signals mean. They know how to change the direction. Um, but, you know, I'm sure we'll be out chasing pheasants this fall as well. I think it's outstanding that you can, if you decide to take a little piece of Delta to the Delta Marsh, which is just such a uh, legendary, almost magical place to hunt waterfowl and, um, that's that is going to be. I think I think you're going to get up there, Ryan, and it, it might be a tough moment for you for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, it, if I miss those first couple canvas backs because I've got tears in my eyes, that's okay. Well, I have a question for Ryan. I mean, when you talk to dog guys, I always like to know. So you you said that your father really liked upland bird hunting and had pointers and and uh, spaniels. What made you make the transition to labs? and retrieving dogs primarily. And what type of training did you use? Did you use a specific system? Did you kind of learn about it on your own? How did you, from not having experience with that type of dog, make that transition and train your lab so successfully? Well, I think I got lucky one. I had a great dog that had great, you know, great genetics that helped, um, you know, uh, but the reason, the reason I've moved to labs is, um, you know, I, I'm a duck hunter probably is my, is my top passion. And, and as a kid, I remember, you know, an Irish setter, uh, in our duck boat freezing his, his tail off, you know, that long, beautiful tail, he was freezing it off. And I, and I remember, uh, one of our Springer Spaniels going down with hypothermia and us having to stop and wrap her up in, in hunting coats and, and warm her up. They just can't handle that cold, hard, duck weather and and so uh labradors just seem to be a better fit for my way of hunting i love uplands and and, and you know uh, a, a labrador can, you know can do it hey hunting behind a pointer it's 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 awesome i love it if i had room and time to have multiple dogs i'd have a pointer in the mix as well but you know, I'm just a hardcore duck guy, so I, I need a dog that can handle it. Um, that's the biggest thing. And for me, you know, my my dad had always trained his dogs himself, um, and so I kind of followed his method. But you know, I went and bought Richard Walter's book, uh, Game Dog and Water mm-hmm. Dog, and and that's that's basically the philosophy that I've pursued. Um, I don't force fetch. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I get my retrievers to love retrieving on their own and, and, and I don't force fetch. Uh, I don't, I don't fault anyone who does. Um, there's certainly, you know, good, good cases to be made for that, but I'm, I'm, a, I guess I'd probably be a little more cooperative and softer, but I'm also not a, a I'm not a field trialer. Um, you know, I'm okay with, with a little bit of sloppy work, um, with my hunting dog, um, hearts, hearts more important for me. Um, but I tell you, I've learned a lot of the things that I do with my dogs from hardcore field trailers. Cause, cause, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch a great, uh, working dog at, at trialing dog work. And, and I've, I've appreciated that, but that's, that's basically it. Um, you know, sit, stay calm. I started Soka when she was, when she was eight, nine weeks, we started working on that. And once she got sit, stay, calm down, um, from there, you can, you can take them to the moon. Um, and so that's, that's my focus and, and that's my philosophy. Um, so that's it. Great. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I love, I love the fact that you focus on foundation and, and you, you're really in tune to your dogs. So that's good. Thanks. Appreciate the answer. So I want to close with this, guys. And that is, uh, I've been fortunate enough to grow up with dogs, training dogs, watch my dad to teach himself and then uh, myself and my brother how to train coon hounds. Uh, so growing up around that was awesome. I trained my own coon hound to retrieve ducks of all things, uh, which is a bit of a crazy story in itself. 
But at the end of the day, I mean, pet owners, real pet owners, they love their animals and they are a member of the family. But I always felt like there's an extra little something extra between a, a man or a woman and their hunting partner, their hunting dog. And I just, I think it's a connection that you, you experienced. Ryan, you talked about some of the experiences that you've had, ride long pickup rides, um, just sharing so many moments together uh, that, that I don't even think that the average pet owner gets necessarily. So uh, I'd just like to hear from each of you. Uh, Mike, maybe we'll start with you and then we'll let Ryan cr- close it out as our guest here. But uh, just could you, could you even imagine yourself without having the been able to experience those bonds to this point in your life? No, they, they were something that will always hold a special place in my heart. And if I had to sum it up in one word, I think it's trust and you trust in your dog. They trust in you. And it's such a pure relationship that is so enriching for, in my opinion, all parties involved. Obviously my dogs have never talked back to me. Um, they've given me the look with their eyes. And I think it, you know, that look sometimes meant you're an idiot, but, um, but it's just such a, a very pure relationship that is founded and based on trust when you're with each of you taking care of each other or taking care of your roles and knowing that I, I'm going to do my job. You're going to do your job and we're going to have a great time. Ryan, you know, I think, at the end of the day, my philosophy, I saw on a t-shirt one time, and I just want to live up to be the guy that my dog thinks that I am. That's a great wow. quote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, we're going to end it there. I mean, that's, that's absolutely perfect. And uh, Ryan, I can't thank you enough. I know you're really busy. You have a lot going on. I appreciate you being on the show. And as I said, when I asked you, I thought you'd be the absolute perfect guest to have on. And obviously Mike and I both, Sorry about your loss with Delta, but we're also equally excited to watch Soka grow up and, and for you to make some memories with, with her and your family. Well, thanks. I've appreciated it. I'm glad, you know, I, 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 I may have cracked a little bit, but I didn't break down, so I'm happy about that. Hey, that's quite all right. We appreciate it. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation immensely. Man, what a great interview with Ryan. I could have listened to him tell stories about Delta all night long. And, and Mike, you and I have had a chance to hunt with your dogs in the past. And uh, you've never had a chance to hunt, to hunt with Arrow, but you've at least been around her. And, uh, you know, it's just like having an extra buddy along, isn't it? It is. It's the the hunting companion that no matter what the weather is, what the time of day or night, they're ready to go. And I think that's what endears us so much to dogs. Yeah. I just, I loved how Ryan ended the show too, talking, <laughs> I forget the exact quote, but basically if, if our if our if we were half as great as what our animals our dogs think we are, <laughs> then we're doing something right. Yeah. I mean, it truly it truly is unconditional love, and um, I, I just I couldn't imagine my life without my dogs. I agree. I mean, they they bring so much to us and and our family in general. I mean, they are part of our family, and I I think just as long as you have dogs around, things have to be going great for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we want to thank Ryan again for taking the time to join us on the show here this evening. So, Mike, the week ahead, um, yeah, I teased it a little bit at the beginning and you didn't you didn't take the bait. I know you're you're trying to finalize a vehicle decision here. I am. I have to uh, buy a new truck this week. The the insurance company finally sent the the check into my account. So I'm I'm ready to go. I'm definitely not going to go with the same truck I had before. I wasn't pleased how it held up. As everyone knows, my, my vehicle was totaled. I was in a 14-car pileup and was hit by two separate vehicles and totaled my truck. And I wasn't pleased with the safety on the low-end impact or low-speed impacts that it received. I was very um, safe where I was sit- sitting in the driver's seat. But if I would have had passengers, I wasn't really pleased with what the the performance was on the passenger side. So I'm going bigger. I, I think that it's going to be the Ford F-150. You and I had a discussion about it last night. And I think our discussion finally just pushed me over the edge. And I mean, I had a Ford, I had a Ford before, loved it. And uh, I think it's time to go back. You know, Mike, you're the only person I've ever heard say, yeah, I have to buy a truck. <laughs> I mean, you're gonna. I mean, just, just take take us when you when you get that thing, just sit in it and smell it for a while and and enjoy that moment because uh, there's there's almost nothing like it, really. Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with 
buying the truck and sitting in the truck and bringing the truck home. It is the process that you have to dip and dodge and, and be hassled through to finally have the keys placed in your hand, I think is what I'm really dreading. And it's, and it, I mean, I'm, there might be car and truck salesmen out there and saleswomen and, and I'm no, not disparaging your career. It's just, I have a certain personality. I'm a very direct individual. If they could just tell me, okay, here's how much I need to make on this. Are you okay with that? I, I will say, great. Here's how much I'd like to pay for that. And if we can get that all said and done, I'd be tickled. But I don't think that's how car sales work in this country. And, and I would love to be a fly on the wall watching you purchase a vehicle uh, because I think it would be just it, – it'd be an awesome, awesome thing to observe. So, uh, But I, I wish you luck with that. And uh, I know you'll enjoy it and enjoy it the best you can. And the worst part, of course, is like you said, going through the haggling and then paying for it. Um, sure. But at any rate, I, I don't. I wish I had something nearly as exciting on my calendar for the rest of the week, but I, I really don't. It's kind of a laid back week, and uh, other than than getting that hot water tank serviced, I think I'm good to go on that for a while. And I'm looking forward. To, the, the weather's going to take a, a little bit of a terrible turn here, get a little sloppy and wet. And I was able to run outside and uh, the last couple of days because it was it was really nice weather. So I'm going to just try to battle through that. But otherwise, I, I'm not sure I'll even get out this weekend to look for, for antler sheds, but I, I want to do that sometime soon. Well, with that, I think we'll go ahead and call it an episode. Uh, Mike, uh, once again, I appreciate your time and appreciate Ryan's time. I think it was a good show today. And uh, I'm going to go spend some time with with my pups right now. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on as always. And uh, Ryan was a wonderful guest. I really appreciated him opening up so so soon after losing such a important part of his life. So um, kudos to, to Ryan for, to, to I guess, being a, a man in, in regards to sharing what he felt in very, very honest words. Absolutely. And everybody listening, you got a, you got a pup at home. Uh, give them a little extra love tonight because you, know, you never know when you won't have them and make sure you appreciate every moment. So with that, I thank you again for listening to the Red Dog Red podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Red Dog Road Podcast. If you like what you heard here, please consider subscribing and telling your friends. You can also visit the website and blog at reddogroad.net.